All right, so the lectionary. This is the second to last week of the church calendar year. So, and then we'll, we'll end next week and then uh, with our love feast and then we'll go into the season of Advent after that and then it'll be Christmas and we'll be on our way. Uh, so this is our last, second to last week in the Gospel of Luke and then I think next year in a couple of weeks when we start the new uh, calendar year, I think we're in Matthew this coming year. Um, so here we are in Luke, and what's interesting, kind of at the, I don't know why the lectionary uh, um, selectors did this, but at the end of the year, they, um, they select apocalyptic texts. So they, these real sort of like grandiose uh, passages, these selections that are very apocalyptic. So um, yeah, so let's look at this. All right, Luke 21, uh, 5 through 19, it's up on the, on the screen. Sorry if that's small. Uh, it's also in the bulletin if you want to follow along. One day, people were standing around talking about the temple, remarking how beautiful it was, the splendor of its stonework, its memorial gifts. Jesus said, all of this you're admiring so much, the time is coming when every stone in that building will end up in a heap of rubble. They asked him, teacher, when is this going to happen? What clue will we get that it's about to take place? He said, watch out for doomsday deceivers. Many leaders are going to show up with forged identities claiming, I am the one or the end is near. Don't fall for any of that. When you hear of wars and uprisings, keep your head and don't panic. This is routine history and no sign of the end. He went on, nation will fight nation, and ruler will fight ruler over and over. Huge earthquakes will occur in various places. There will be famines. You'll think at times that the very sky is falling. But before any of this happens, they'll arrest you, hunt you down, and drag you to court and jail. It will go from bad to worse, dog eat dog, everyone at your throat because you carry my name. You'll end up on the witness stand called to testify. Make up your mind right now not to worry about it. I'll give you the words and wisdom that will reduce all of your accusers to stammers and stutters. You'll even be turned in by parents, brothers, relatives, and friends. Some of you will be killed. There's no telling uh, who will hate you because of me. Even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs on your head, is in my care. Nothing of you will be lost. Staying with it, that's what's, that's what's, excuse me, what's required. Stay with it to the end. You won't be sorry. You'll be saved. It's the word of the Lord. All right, that's a, uh, <laughs> a weird and cheery text. Hey, at, church, at First Church, did they talk about ch- this text at First Church? Yeah, it's a weird, I was thinking about not doing this text this week, because it's such a, like, it's like, you know, that, it's, I don't know what you do with this. Um, you know, first things, yeah, Claudia's like, I'm out of here with that one. Uh, it's good to see you. Um, yeah, yeah, he dropped the mic, he, I mean, First thing, like we have to realize, like with any, like approaching any piece of literature, uh, you have to understand it within the context of its genre. So this is apocalyptic literature. This is following a pattern for a kind of writing and style. So um, whenever we're reading an ancient text, we have to read it in that, with that in mind, that this is um, written in a way that is. Um, over, over the top, it's grandiose, it is um, 
bringing up all of the sort of like violence. It's like, a, like if you were to read a, or watch a sci-fi or a horror movie, um, you understand it within the context of like what it's trying to be and what it's trying to do. So the, the, in those movies, like the music swells in a certain way, it's filmed in a different way. So when we approach a text like this, um, we have to see it within the frame of what it's trying to be and what it's trying to do. Um, another thing that I think is helpful to understand is when this text was written. Uh, so the, the text was written probably somewhere in the realm of uh, 85 CE to 90 CE. So that would be 20 to 25 years after, um, after the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. So whenever this is being written and communicated to, to the people in 85 to 90 CE, the temple has already been destroyed at that point. So um, it's written with that experience in mind. So when it, whenever at the beginning, you know, it's talking about, um, you know, when is, this, uh, when is this going to happen? And, you know, Jesus says, you know, there's a time when every stone in that building will end up in a heap of rubble. Um, it's referring to the destruction of the temple that's already, it's already happened uh, when this is being written. So they're trying to grapple with um, the human question of, um, what do we do um, in moments of despair um, when the most important religious and cultural site, um, the, pl the very place where you find the divine, when that is destroyed, where is God? Where is God in the midst of that experience? And so that's, that's the experiential nature of, of what the people at that time are trying to, to grapple with. Um, the very place of God has been destroyed. And the question is, where is God? Where is God in the midst of utter destruction and despair? Um, and I think, I mean, I think in a way, uh, to me, it made me think of the question or the, the thing that we say um, before the service to not take ourselves too seriously because in some way, um, apocalyptic literature uh, is trying to use the experience of destruction, despair, as a way to um, drill down at a fundamental truth, uh, a spiritual truth about what it means to be human, uh, what it means to, to have hope uh, in the midst of times of despair. Where, where do we find hope when everything has is, is gone wrong? Where do we find hope when... Um, when the bad guys seem to be winning, right? Um, Rome has destroyed uh, the temple in Jerusalem. The bad guys are winning. How do, how do we find hope in the midst of that? Another way to, to think of this in a, in a spiritual sense, um, when I, and then when I say spiritual, you know, I, I really mean uh, like human. Like what does it mean to, to, to find and to discover meaning in life? Um, Richard Rohr uh, says that one of the fundamental biblical messages is that nothing lasts. And in some ways, that's what Jesus is saying here. Uh, you know, those, those stones um, that you've, you found uh, put together, that you thought housed the divine, um, you know, it, it just do it, it doesn't last. Uh, it's not what's fundamentally important about what it means to be human. Um, we see this kind of message, you know, communicated in 
all spiritual traditions, but, uh, you know, in, in the Judeo-Christian tradition, uh, particularly in the book of Ecclesiastes, and the writer says, uh, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity, all is vanity. Generation goes and generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hurries to the place where it rises. Uh, our great spiritual traditions have this sense that um, nothing lasts. It doesn't mean nothing's important, but the, the places that we often try to, to make meaning or, or, or really hold on to, we try to control, um, we try to uh, build something where we lock in the divine. Um, our great spiritual teachers say, oh, that's not what it's, what it's about. It, it's about actually a process of, of letting go to, to some degree. Um, and I think that this text of apocalyptic literature here, Jesus is trying to communicate and the writer of Luke is trying to communicate um, in the midst of destruction, despair, the rubble that exists uh, in Jerusalem. Um, there is actually a seed of hope there. That's actually um, not only a, a devastating experience because the reality is you know, what it was at that time where um, maybe their friends or family members had been killed. I mean, maybe they had lost loved ones. Maybe they were exiled from their homes. And that was the physical reality, perhaps, of many um, Jewish and Gentile followers of Jesus. You know, we're talking 40, 50 years after um, Jesus died. And they're trying to figure out what did, maybe what did I sign up for? Where, where do we find this hope now? And part of that is um, the paradoxical experience of what it means to be human and spiritual of letting go. And that can look different for, for each of us. We all have to let go of, of different things. Um, and I think one of the things Jesus is saying is, don't worry about this and that. I think I, I was reading from the, the message translation this morning. Um, and in one point, he actually says, um, don't worry. Don't worry about this and that. Don't take yourself too seriously, perhaps. Uh, it says, you know, when people panic and say the end is near, you know, think nothing of it. You know, people will fight. Um, there will be droughts and famines. But don't worry about these things, the temples, your attachments, the violence. It doesn't mean that it's not important. It doesn't mean, I mean, this is, I forget what we were talking, what were we talking about on Wednesday? Oh, Bonhoeffer, for instance. Like, Bonhoeffer is a, um, a scathing critic of the religion of his time. He, Germany in the 1930s, he's a theologian, an academic, but he's an activist standing up a kind of, uh, you know, racist uh, nationalism that had... Um, you know, turned into Nazism in Germany in the 1930s and 40s. Scathing critic of how Christianity in his time in the culture went off the rails. But what's paradoxical in Bonhoeffer is that he has this, like, real posture of, like, non-judgment, uh, where he's not attached, like, he's not anxious and angry about it, but he's made, because of that, he's, he can be, like, a scathing critic and a fierce advocate for um, a type of truer or deeper Christianity, a deeper spirituality. Um, in the process of holding non-judgment, he's able to be 
um, a better critic of his religion at that time. And I think there's kind of the same thing here. Uh, Jesus has both a posture of um, do not worry, do not be anxious, but he's constantly in a fight for social justice. Um, he's very politically engaged. He's very critical of both the temple system and the Roman occupation that oppressed and marginalized um, the underclass and the poor. He does both of those. And that is, um, I think as, as people in 2019, as we're trying to grapple with those, those same issues of how not to take ourselves too seriously, to, to kind of not be caught up in the sort of whims of anxiety within our culture to, to form the, the right opinions or to, um, to be able to speak out to every injustice, which we need to do, but to do that in a way that is fundamentally different. It's coming from a deep well of grace and non-judgment, and in that space, we can actually do the work of um, standing up for the poor, the marginalized, etc. So what is justice in the midst of rubble? When it seems like the bad guys are winning, when there seems to be so many existential problems that our society faces, how do we continue on as people of hope in the midst of conflict? How do we engage deeply with the problems of our world without being consumed by them, overtaken by the anxiety of it all? Um, this week, did we see that, anybody see that Roger Stone got convicted of seven felony accounts? Uh, you know, we're no doubt living through divided times in our culture, around the impeachment, corruption, constant abuse of power. Perhaps you've seen, I don't know. But how do we, as spiritual people, Christians, live in a completely different way in light of this kind of truth. Like, we look at this apocalyptic text, and we try to find uh, something that is deeply true uh, in a strange, bizarre text from 2,000 years ago. How do we see it as an opportunity to um, let go of our need to control, the need to always have the right answers or give our opinions, to get in our feelings or to be anxious about every new tweet or even just how somebody is at work? So there's elements of, yes, resist. Yes, also, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. Yes, fight for justice. Yes, also, God has been at work in this fight for quite a while now. Yes, do the work, but yes, grace. At the end of this text, Jesus says, uh, something is, is kind of interesting. Every, even so, every detail of your body and soul, even the hairs on your head, is in my care. Nothing of you will be lost. Staying with it, that's what's required. Stay with it to the end. 
You won't be sorry. You'll be saved. In, uh, this is the, the message translation, but in many translations, uh, they'll use the word soul at the, at the very end there, which is uh, a word that is um, it's tra- often translated as soul, but it is just uh, the Greek word psyche, psyche. Um, and that can be really understood as life. And we've talked about this a few times before, life or breath. Um, you will gain your life. You know, the, what Jesus is trying to communicate here, I think, one of the things he's trying to communicate is, you know, he says, every the de- detail of your body and soul, the hairs on your head, will be cared for. It's a posture of knowing I'm taken care of. My life, my breath. Um, sometimes, like, like, you know, the end of this is, you know, you'll be saved. And I think a lot of religious people think, oh, heaven, or, you know, you'll be saved. You know, you'll be given salvation. Um, but it's you'll be given life. If you, if you are, have the ability, you have the posture to both um, live in the way of Jesus, to, to do all the things that we talk about, the, you know, the Gospel of Luke's, you know, um, you know, I came to set the captive free, um, to give voice to the voiceless, to, uh, to set the prisoner free. So all of that is, is there, but it comes from this place of, I'm, I'm cared for, I'm the divine has us in a position in which we can actually gain life. Uh, another way that Jesus says it all the time is the person who loses their life will gain their life. And the same word is used there too, it's psyche. You know, the, the person who is able to lose their life, the person who's able to let go, will actually save it or gain it. So the unveiling of apocalyptic literature. That's all uh, apocalypse means is a revelation or an unveiling. That's why the, the last book in the biblical text is called Revelation. It's just simply a word for unveiling, an unveiling of a truth using a type of genre of literature. So this apocalyptic text, perhaps it reveals a deep kernel of grace in the midst of despair, whatever we're going through. In the midst of violence, in the midst of divided times, uh, in the midst of our hunger for retribution, Roger Stone got what he deserved, right? Um, that's our inc- inclination, right? We want justice, we want retribution. But the divine is a spirit of grace. It is a spirit of letting go. It is a spirit of you're taking care of. And justice happens in the, in the midst because of that spirit. Everything is in the care of God. And Jesus says, therefore, stay with it. Stay with the task that you have been called to, whatever that is, whatever your, uh, whatever your issue is, whatever you're fighting for. Stay with it. But we are primarily invited into the experience of rest so that we can rest in the truth that your lives here and now are taken care of by God. Let's pray. Loving God, we, um, 
we admit that we take ourselves way too seriously. We pray that um, in our times of uh, despair, uh, when we feel like uh, we can't get a win, may we be reminded that even in the midst of this experience, um, we are loved, we are cared for, that we are surrounded by a community of people that love us and care for us. Uh, when we don't feel it, when we don't want it, that this care and concern holds us to do the good work that you've called us to do. We pray that we would remember this more than we do. Amen.